let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, it is a big week of changes for Metro. There will be more service and shorter waits on trains. There will be free rides on DC buses. But there will also be fare hikes and some other wrinkles. WAMU transportation reporter Jordan Pascal is here to walk us through it all. Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. So Jordan Pascal, you are the transportation reporter for WAMU, and this is like a huge week for you because there is a ton of Metro news. A lot of it is related to the budget. This is the first one for the new general manager, Randy Clark. He's making a splash, yeah? Yeah, he's had a busy couple months. Uh, He started in July and he's doing a lot. (laughs) All right. So the most exciting thing for listeners, at least around the region beyond just the District of Columbia, is that Metro says it's going to run faster and more regularly. What, What do we know about this? Yeah, the budget will include a lot more trains, basically. We've obviously been saddled with the 7,000 series, so that's kind of held us back. But what Metro is proposing is five-minute headways on the red line, six minutes on green. Basically, they're saying that there's going to be a lot more service in the core, too. So if you're in the downtown area, you can expect trains every like three to five minutes, basically. So it'll be a pretty big improvement from what we see now. Will you explain what you mean by saddled with the 7000 series? There was a derailment back in October 2021 that they found some issues with the wheels. And so they had to pull those trains and make sure they were safe. The Metro Rail Safety Commission kind of made Metro inspect them regularly. The 7000 series, for folks who don't know, that's the newest of the the shiny, bright new trains. Yeah, shiny silver ones. And so, yeah, you see more of them out on the system right now. Metro has had 30 of about 90 out there. So so more, more trains coming back means more service. Does it also mean more cost to us? What's going to change about how we pay? Quite a bit, actually. Randy Clark has said that Metro is one of the most complicated fare systems in the world. And for anyone that's ever the looked whole at- The whole world? The whole world. I mean, if you ever looked at a fare machine- on top, they've got all these little prices for station to station and all that stuff. And if it's AM commuting hours or PM commuting hours, then it's more expensive. It's different from station to station on cost. So they wanted to simplify that a little bit. They didn't get 100% simplification. But what they did do was propose to eliminate those peak commuting hour prices. So the base fare throughout the day is $2. During peak fare, it's $2.25. So they're going to say, let's get rid of that and just go to one fare structure throughout the day. But what that will mean is that they have to make that up in some way. So they're basically increasing prices no matter what time of the day. So 
the best example that I was given was, you know, Shady Grove to downtown. If you live in far out Maryland or far out Virginia and are coming downtown, usually that would be about three eighty-five. If it's not during peak periods, if it's during peak periods, it'll be six dollars. Well, Metro's increasing that top price to six fifty, and you're gonna have to pay that anytime. So all of a sudden, that round trip, you know, say you're going midday that gets a lot more expensive. Now, granted, there's flat fares on weekends. It's $2 and after 9.30. So it's simplified. It doesn't sound too simple to me, man. <laughs> it's, it's simpler. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it's still a lot, but that's the main changes. And wait, so that's a pretty big hit for some people. It is. Yeah. If you live at the end of the line, you know, you're probably driving and parking. So that's like five bucks and 650 round trip. That's 13. So that's almost 20 bucks just to get somewhere you want to go downtown. So that's a little bit of money. What Metro is doing is creating a low income fare program. Fares would be half price. So bus fares would be a dollar instead of $2. That peak Metro fare would be 350 instead of $6. And so they think that will help kind of lower the barrier to transit and help lower income people get around. Do they have a theory about like price elasticity, to use a really wonky term. So the person yeah. who is currently taking the metro in on their off-peak fare from Shady Grove to downtown and is about to see a big price hike, do they have a, a, an idea as to what is the, the thing that would cause that person to stay in their car instead of taking the metro? Yeah. I mean, they've got another a lot of algorithms and formulas. I'm not sure exactly what all goes into them, but they did provide a pie graph for their overall fare changes. And they say, with all this fare, with all the service changes... 49% of people would benefit and 8% would be negatively affected and then a certain percent would be not affected at all. There does come a point where people say, well, heck, if it's going to be $20 round trip, is it worth driving or is there a different way to do this? Because this is happening just as gas prices are coming down. Right, right. And they've got specific numbers for, you know, if they cut off the yellow line at Mount Vernon, that's going to affect a certain amount of people. Fares, I don't know if I saw a specific number, but, you know, they gave us, you know, some solid numbers on, on some other things and how it would affect people. But for instance, the low income fare program, I think they said that would generate about 1.4 million new trips. So that would vastly help uh, those people. So they definitely look into it. So there's another thing that has been announced this week, which I presume is going to be a savings of money for them, which is they want to go back to automatic train operation. So this is a thing that was stopped in 2009 because of a crash that killed people, the first fatal crash in the history of the Metro. Automatic operation, the trains are meant to operate automatically. It was not actually considered the cause, but they turned to a manual system out of what they said was an abundance of caution. So in a similar abundance of caution, how do we know if it's that it's safe to return now? Yeah. And actually, I don't even know if it would be a savings. I mean, with all the infrastructure changes that they've had to do and everything, the operators are still in the in the train. So you're not saving there, unfortunately. Oh, you're but, not. Um, so, the, so wait, so the guys are still or the, the, the still operators are still sitting there. Yeah. They're just not doing anything. They still do some things. So uh, there's different levels of automation. Basically, the main reason that Metro wants to do this is they think it's one, safer, and two, smoother. I've had some friends tell me that, you know, they get a little upset stomach and, you know, a little motion sickness on trains. And so it depends on the operator. You come into a station and you kind of have that, like, like really jerky coming in. And so that would smooth that out. It would, the computer would be in charge of acceleration, deceleration. It would automatically open doors on the correct side, depending on which station you're at. Operators would still be there, one, to monitor crowd flow. So they would, operators would close the doors. And then 
obviously they would be there for emergency situations. So they still do have a role in operating those trains, but just a reduced role. One of the reasons that they think it's safer is because there's kind of signals like a traffic light. There's red lights. The rule is you're supposed to stop at those red lights. Same with the end of the station. If you go past the station platform, that's a problem. And that happens. Those two problems, the main reason of that is is human factors. So they think that this will be a, a better alternative with the computer running things. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. All right, so let's let's go retro here and talk buses because that's like huge news this week. The Metro for DC bill it passed a first vote in the DC Council last week and is likely to to become law. This bill would do a couple things: fund overnight bus service for twelve lines, which is big news since Metro does not um, go overnight on the trains. But the even bigger deal is that they are planning to make buses within the District of Columbia totally free. When would that happen? Well, technically, the law goes into effect in July, so that's the best case scenario. But recently, Metro General Manager Randy Clark kind of talked about the implementation, and there's kind of a lot of details and things to figure out, like a lot of buses go into Maryland or Virginia, and so he was saying the details, we got to figure out how to accept fare payment, and do you put a lid on top of it? Do you take the fare machines out altogether? The other thing that, and probably the biggest thing they talked about was operators. I mean, if you're running... 12 routes overnight for the first time, that's a lot of new operators and operators that are willing to work an overnight shift. So that could also be kind of a, a barrier to getting that started right right at July. So best case scenario, July, but I think we kind of have to wait and see how the process plays out. So it might be a little bit longer than that. So who's pushing for it and, and why? Well, the, the first person to kind of really dig in on this issue was Councilmember Charles Allen, who pitched the bill. But, you know, the bus is the workhorse of the region. Train gets a ton of attention, and, you know, rightly so. But during the pandemic, bus ridership was way up. I mean, head and shoulders above train. I mean, because it, the people that use the bus are the people that we rely on, the essential workers, the nannies, the uh, security folks, cleaning, you know, it's expensive to live around a metro station. And not everyone is in walking distance to a metro station. And so the bus is really that lifeline that is getting into areas that these people need to get from home to work. And so the bus was seeing much higher higher ridership during the pandemic. And so Charles Allen, uh, council member from D.C., said that we need to help these people, basically, that outside of rent and childcare, that the transportation is one of the highest budget lines in a family's budget. So helping the people that need it most, I think they say that I think half of people that ride Metrobus make less than $30,000, more likely to be people of color, 
less likely to own a car and less likely to have other options. So it truly is an essential lifeline. Okay, so that usually with transportation subsidies, the idea is we, the taxpayers, should pay for this because it gets cars off the streets, good for the environment, it reduces congestion. But in this case, he's saying this is people who might already not have a car, but basically this is like a redistribution economic justice uh, move. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, it's a public good when it comes to the environment. There's a lot of benefits. He was saying that that the main is equity and and helping people that need it, but also, yeah, I mean, if we can generate new trips by enticing people to get out of their car with free transit, that's also a win for everyone. I'm wondering if that has any sort of perverse, like unintended effects. Like for instance, I live about a mile from a metro station. So on days when I'm feeling lazy, which is most days, I will jump on the bus to the metro and then get in the metro. But if the difference were free, I mean, if it was like free versus then having to pay a fare, I might just stay on that bus, which winds up downtown anyway, just takes a lot longer to get there. So is this like unintentionally going to keep some people off the pay metro system entirely? And what would that do to the metro's budget? Yeah, I mean, that's that's, you know, a concern. I mean, this isn't free free. Nothing's free. D.C. will still pay for those rides. But instead of the user paying, it's the district paying. So Metro will still get money. But, you know, like a trip that like you mentioned, if you're avoiding rail altogether, the $2 trip for the bus is a lot less than what the four or five or whatever it might be for uh, your rail trip. So that will be lost revenue. But then the, the other impacts is free is good, but Free is good, but it's got to be reliable and it's still got to come on time and it's still got to be frequent. Because if, you know, you got a free service and the bus only comes every 30 minutes or every hour, well, that's not very helpful. So part of what Allen's bill does is invest more in Metro bus service up to $10 million a year to create that frequent service to make sure that buses are properly maintained and, you know, all that stuff and coming more frequently because if a bus is free and it's not usable, well, then no one's going to use it. So you got to make sure that not only is it free, but accessible. So basically what's happening is that the DC taxpayers are paying WMATA the cost of all those rides instead of the riders themselves paying it each time they get on or get off. Correct. Um, To the tune of about $32 million, I believe. And is WMATA supportive of this change? What Randy Clark has told me is that he is always happy when jurisdictions want to fund transit. Mm -hmm. He's never going to be upset about that. What he would like to see, you know, we talked about the complicated fare system, is that if Montgomery County decides they want to do something slightly different or Arlington wants to do something different, then, you know, it, it starts to get really confusing. And so obviously the district is kind of the hub of this region. So, you know, maybe if, you know, everyone knows that it's free just within district boundaries, it won't cause an issue. But he would like to see kind of a more regional approach to this. But obviously with 23 jurisdictions, I I can't remember how many exactly that contribute to Metro, it's a bigger lift and a bigger ask to get all those people on board. Well, here's what I'm curious about. There are some American cities where like some buses are free or buses in like the very core of downtown are free or things like that. But there's got to be like some social science research or logic here on this question of like, if you get something for free, you maybe treat it differently than something you pay for, even if it's a bus ride. Are there thoughts about what this will mean for just raw ridership, for how people act on buses, for how people treat buses, what the drivers think, et cetera? Yeah, there's definitely going to be effects. I mean, it's might be a little hard to predict, but also, you know, some of the fears that I've heard already is people that don't have a home that that start to 
more or less stay on a bus longer than just for transportation. Does that discourage ridership? The flip side of things, a benefit with drivers, they don't have to police people's fare and stuff. They don't have to worry about tapping cards or if it they don't have exact change or whatever. That decreases a lot of the friction points with, with riders. So that's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, will ridership be so high that all of a sudden buses are too crowded? And then that's not attractive to, to people. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of secondary wave effects and you're going to have to address those somehow, you know. All right, we should start your anthropology dissertation now, my friend. Right. <laughs> so listen, there's this $100 question. I mean, literally a $100 question, which is that the budget was supposed to include this monthly stipend for all of us DC residents where we would get $100 of metro money on our metro cards courtesy of the taxpayers. Is that still happening? Still technically happening. It is a lot more expensive than what the free buses. Free bus is $32 million, and I think the $100 stipend is about $150 million. So pretty, pretty big difference. But kind of the caveats to all this is that they still want to do it, but it would be down the road. And the earliest it could be would be October 2024, so two-ish years from now. But it also relies on funds. I mean, the way this whole bill is funded is DC's chief financial officer every year comes up with a projection of what they think tax revenues will be. Traditionally, they've been really conservative about what to expect to come in. And then when the actual numbers come in, it's a lot higher. And so what this bill is kind of grabs that money that's above expectations and uses that to fund the free bus. We might be going into a recession, you know, who knows? We've all traditionally had that extra money, but that's not guaranteed. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if that money isn't there. But all things going well, maybe we'll have that $100 by October 2024. Gotcha. I got to ask you, how do you get to work? Well, I'm home a lot nowadays. I, you know, I go into work about once a week. I drive to work some days. I bike less than I should, and I take the red line loop. But this is this is a perfect example of choice. So I'm Tacoma to Van Ness. So it's kind of a straight across DC. I would love this free bus service, but there's no bus that goes from where I live to where I work, and so I'm still going to be paying the four. 85 or whatever it is from Tacoma to Van Ness. And, you know, it's 40 minutes on the train or 20 minutes driving and it costs about the same. So kind of depends on what's going on during the day. But all right. Just so we know our star regional transportation reporter has no bias here because his life will be probably unchanged by this bill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have heard from people that wanted that hundred dollars for everyone. They thought that would be a better situation. I think there's some disappointment that that's not the first thing. But what Councilmember Allen has come back to is that this is helping people that need it fastest and with the least friction, not setting up registration for smart cards and all that stuff. By the way, is anyone against this? Well, not on the council, at least. It, it passed 13 nothing. I have a lot of friends that have bus rides to work that deal with a lot on the bus. I mean, there's, you know, loud music and fights and get regular texts, let's put it that way, of, of what what's going on in the bus. And I think that the main thing that I heard and how realistic is it is kind of the, like, like you mentioned, when you treat something differently because it's free. And I, I, I don't know, does it get worse? I don't know. But I, I think there's some concern around that. But um, I, I think mostly people think it's a public good. Oh, all right. So what is next for this bill? Well, it passed first reading. Uh, there's another final vote. Mayor Muro Bowser might be an interesting 
bit in this. Um, she talked a little bit about like Metro being kind of this regional body that it has this compact that governs how this works. And she had some concerns about DC paying for something and then no one else is doing similar. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, obviously they'll have the votes to overcome a veto if that's a thing, but that could be kind of an interesting wrinkle. And then, like I talked about a little bit, the implementation should be fascinating to see how this actually happens and how it kind of melds into Metro's budget and everything. But that's kind of the next incremental steps that I'm looking at. And then once it starts happening, I'm curious what the first month looks like. Is is ridership skyrocket? Is it truly that we're all working from home and it doesn't matter as much? So I might start taking my meetings on buses. I might start recording this podcast on the bus. Hey, I've I've worked on I've worked on the trains. I've taken it to get focused. I love working on a bus or train. All right, Jordan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And before you go, audio producer Julia Karen is here with some quick news. 16 D.C. kids have been fatally shot so far this year, which is more than double the killings of last year. Over the same period, 82 minors were shot and injured and more than 200 were arrested for violent crimes. The numbers are increasing every year and city officials aren't sure how to respond. Some say that the problem is weak accountability, but others say it's a lack of investment in social services. Meanwhile, Arlington is getting its first medical weed dispensary early next year. The brand behind the opening is Beyond Hello, and if that name sounds familiar, it's because they opened locations in Fairfax, Alexandria, Manassas, and Sterling. They've got another location coming to Woodbridge sometime next year, too. And lastly, if you live in Loudoun County, unfortunately, it might be time to tell your kangaroo to move out. At today's meeting, the County Board of Supervisors will discuss banning ownership of exotic or venomous pets, like wolf hybrids, scorpions, baboons, venomous reptiles, and non-native venomous spiders. Ordinances like this are already in place in most of the DMV area. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, tell whoever is sitting next to you on the Metro. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.